This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome, my peers. I'm so excited to announce today's guest and share with you all the conversation I had with him several months ago here in Melbourne. So today's guest is the phenomenal Ash Davies, founder and CEO of Tableau, the Melbourne-based publishing startup that makes publishing a real book as easy as publishing a blog. So how does it all work? Well, you can write or upload a book and publish it in ebook and paperback to over 40,000 retailers from Amazon and Barnes and Noble to thousands of physical stores around the world. So Ash himself has been a Victorian Young Achiever of the Year and was recently listed on the 2018 Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the awesome Ash Davies. Ash, welcome yeah. to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Now, look, Ash, you know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn after seeing your feature in the Forbes Under 30 Asia of this year. And when I looked more deeply into you and what you're doing, um, I was super intrigued and I knew I had to interview you. So I really appreciate you um, taking the time and making it all the way down here to downtown Deakin today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. This should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. But before we jump into your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, oh dear. <laughs> what did your parents do and oh, yeah. how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Well, that's, yeah, probably quite relevant. I've come from a business family. Uh, my grandfather started the family business about 60 years ago in vacuum pumps. So not vacuum cleaners, but pumps, like refrigeration pumps, scientific laboratory equipment. He was the inventor of the modern day vacuum pump, uh, which is now used around the world. And he moved over to Australia, must be 50 odd years ago with my father. And yeah, the, the family's really been built from that business. Uh, he's no longer around, but my, my dad has been running the business for the past 30 years. So all the time growing up, it's business conversation over the dinner table. It's, you know, my first job was putting stickers on pumps and walking around the warehouse is kind of helping dad out. And there's been a, a real entrepreneurial mindset right through the family. Uh, my mum worked in HR, uh, but she stopped working just after I came into the picture. I was a bit too much of a handful. <laughs> so it's, it's really been a great business-oriented family uh, where I've, I've just learned through proximity and through hands-on experience. 
I love that. And I think that it's, it very much so is when you're surrounded by it, growing up as a child, you know, you do kind of start to think it's normal to yeah. talk business and to think about it. So talk to me about maybe, I mean, you mentioned one of your early jobs, um, you know, putting those st- stickers on the pumps, but did you ever create a business of your own when you were a child or come up with these ideas? Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I've never had a real job, um, which is, you know, it creates all kinds of challenges as well and that I'm having to learn how to have a job. But my first business I started when I was 14, uh, I found I really wanted a go-kart, like a little racing go-kart. And to me, it seemed odd to just save up money and buy one. Mm. Instead, I realized that I could buy a couple out of China, import them in in bulk, put them together and assemble them in my family's garage, and then sell them online. And if you do that, you can sell them for twice as much as you bought them for. And, you know, being 14, putting together a little spreadsheet and doing all this math, the idea that I could spend like $400 on a go-kart, sell it for $800 (laughs) seemed crazy. So I I drew up a little business plan, got a loan from my family uh, of about $1,000, bought a couple of go-karts, sold them online. And then at the end of the time, I had my own free (laughs) go-kart and I've made a bit of a profit as well. And that just seemed so obvious to me that you could just buy a couple of things and sell them and add that value and, and, and build a business out of it rather than just save and buy them off someone else. Mm, love that. And I think it's so cool that you were able to, able to realise that at such an early age. I mean, I think so many of us go through this journey and it's, it's not until, you know, a couple of jobs in or whatever it is and then we go, hang on a second, there might be a better way of doing mm. this. Um, no, so I find that super interesting. So what were maybe like some of the maybe like two, three key things that you learned from your grandparents or and your dad who were, who were running that business there? It was a very different nature of business uh, and, and it still is a very different nature of business in vacuum pumps and technology. You know, I've, my brother and I haven't gone down the engineering path, which has been to the, the disappointment somewhat of my family if we haven't got engineers in the group. But I have learned a lot about finances, employing people. It's just stuff you pick up along the way. But I've also realized that the most important thing is the product. My granddad built a great product 50, 60 years ago, incredibly high-quality pumps. Some of those pumps are still running today, which is you know, both a, a problem and a, an absolute <laughs> blessing in that people aren't coming back and buying more because the one they've got that's 50 years old is still going. But being able to build a brand and a reputation that's just based on building really great stuff that people want is something that's really ingrained into me as I go on my own business journeys. Mm. Very cool. So let's talk a bit more about your journey then. So, um, you know, I want to dive into Ash, the early years. So, you know, you were helping out um, with the family business at a very early age. You were creating businesses of your own as a 14. And then, you know, you obviously were at school there and during that time as well. And um, you know, I looked into, you know, you did the standard subjects at, yeah. you, at school. Wow, and, this is um, some deep research. Have you oh, scrolled all the way back on my Instagram it, as well? There is a full scroll. Wow. You know, this Michelle, um, just for everyone <laughs> on camera, <laughs> Michelle LinkedIn stalking her guests. Um, but, yeah, so <laughs> quite literally. Um, but, yeah, so what I found interesting and I guess what I want to learn from you is when did it get to that point where, I mean, maybe it happened in high school, maybe it was maybe it was after, where this idea of um, writing and um, reading, I guess you could say, really became a prominent part of your life? Well, I've an interesting thing about the way I've gotten into this space is I've never stopped and decided, hey, I want to start a company or I want to be an entrepreneur. I only realized there were other people doing the same kind of stuff as me when I was you know, 19 years old and trying to work out how to get Tableau off the ground and build it into something a little bit bigger. But it's been so natural for me 
growing up just to start my own projects. Because I just love making stuff. That's what I really like doing. It's the art of making, build something, put it out there, see if people enjoy it. And to not do that seems sacrilege. It seems like, why wouldn't I do that? Writing to me started kind of by accident. I loved photography. I still do love photography. Mm. Uh, these days I'm mostly, you know, just iPhone selfie camera <laughs> photography and less, less the kind of SLR artistic world. But I, uh, was, I had a new camera. I wanted to learn how to use it. So I decided to write up about my own experiences. So I started a blog called Photo Guides. And the, the process was pretty simple. I'd just go out, take a bunch of photos on something like a waterfall or mm. like a car driving down a hill or something and write a tutorial about how I took the photo. And over time, I, I learned a bit about blogging and content. Uh, I'd accidentally started a, a little magazine online. I had a couple of writers joining me, writing their tutorials uh, and ultimately built up a really great photography resource with Photoshop tutorials and videos. I have my own podcast there as well. Oh, we were the podcast. number one arts podcast wow. in Australia for a little while. Wow. But the, the process of writing was pretty natural. I learned how to build content that people wanted to read and build a, a social following around it. And then that naturally transitioned to book because the question arose, well, I've got all these great articles. How do I make money off of this? You publish a book. So I, I spent some time rewriting everything putting together a full cohesive guide on how to use your camera and yeah, turn that into my own book, the first book I published called The Photo Guide's Guide to Photography, which is still out. It was a number one bestseller on Amazon, first book published by Tableau. And that was, I was probably, I think, year 12 at that time. Mm. So I was working on that blog through 16, 17, 18. And when I was ready to graduate in year 12, I was too busy publishing a book to really pay attention to anything else at school. Mm. Very cool. Wow. I mean, it's just fascinating to think that you were like 16 when you were doing some of this and then, you know, only 18. What what did your parents say about this when you would tell them about what you were doing? They uh, supported <laughs> the, the project. They, they were, were really supportive. The, the difficult point or the critical point was when I uh, was at university mm-hmm. and decided to drop out and, and run independently. And I remember a, a conversation over the dinner table with my mum and my dad there saying, like, I want to leave uni. Tableau isn't anything yet, but I want to take it more seriously because I feel really bad just sitting at uni, being told what to do when I could be doing other stuff and I feel like it's demotivating me. And there was a split reaction there. One side was saying, well, you'll do okay. You leave, run with this, you'll figure it out. The other side was, I'm concerned if you leave university and things don't work out, you won't go back and it will be a real stall on your life, which was absolutely fair because uh, that's what happens to a lot of people. Things don't work out and it, it takes a real you know, a real bit of resilience and, and patience to push through it. So they, they've always supported my projects. Gave uh, it, it took a little bit of a push and a bit of convincing uh, for everyone, including myself, to realize, well, maybe this is my path. Maybe it's not just a side project and I have a regular job and I do things on the side, but maybe I can make a career and a bit of a life out of this as well. Mm. I find that fascinating, especially when I, I, I read about that and looked into that. So I want to go deeper into that time there. So, you know, you're, you know, you finish high school, you get into uni and, you know, your second year in, what happens? Like what happened there? What was the thought process? Talk to us a bit about that experience. So I had put up a landing page for Tableau uh, accidentally. I I didn't intend to go down the whole lean startup methodology, test your idea. It just seemed, well, I'm trying to publish a book, the Photo Guides book. It's really, really hard. It's taken me months. I'm expecting it to be like a blog where I can write something, click a publish button. My book is live. 
Uh, so I started just building a bit of a landing page that let people send me their book and I'd publish it for them. Like I'd figured it out enough to think, right, if they just send me their files, I'll work it out. I'll get it online for them. So I put up the website for that. And it, at, at the time, was, was getting a little bit of attention. It wasn't viral. It wasn't like, wow, Microsoft is so big, I've got to drop out of Harvard. It was, I, I was just making enough money to buy myself ramen and, and the odd flat white. Uh, so I, I was really enjoying it, though. I had another project at the time. I was uh, working on a car show on Channel 31 mm-hmm. uh, where I was writing and producing and presenting pieces on, on different sports cars. And to be honest, I thought that was probably going to be my path where I'd end up on television being like a really terrible version of Jeremy Clarkson making a bad Top Gear. Uh, but I, I was doing enough outside of uni that I just realized I, I enjoy doing this more. And it was a, a delicate position because without wanting to sound too impish or too naughty, at university, I was learning about online media and how to blog. I was learning how to stitch together footage on, on iMovie. And outside of uni, I was already a few years ahead of that because I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, I have great respect for the university, but it was that I was already a few years ahead. I was learning more by doing. I realized that and embraced that rather than, you know, quieten down and think, right, I've got to learn at the same pace. I just thought, well, yeah, I, I can probably go a, f- a few years further and push myself a little harder if I do this myself. And I had the motivation and the energy to do it. I was thinking about it a lot through my, uh, my second year. Then at the end of the second year, I just thought, right, I'll defer. Mm. Put myself out for six months, see what happens. If I forget about uni and don't come back, it's not a problem. If not, I can just reapply to the course and, and go back in. Okay, very cool. Okay. So there's a lot there. There's a yeah. There's a lot there to, to digest. Yeah. I think that um, you know. I think that a question that many of our listeners, many of our peers out there would be thinking is, okay, so you know, you've got this project that's taking over most of your life. You know, you're really into it. You're it was taking up all my all my energy. Is, all is this your thing. energy, yeah. exactly. And so, and y- you feel like you're already ahead of your cohort. Um, I mean, you graduated with, it's probably going to embarrass you, a 99 enter How score. How do you know this? <laughs> Who are you talking to? I mean, to? it's on your LinkedIn. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, we've already established I'm the LinkedIn guru. No. I think so. Um, and, you know, so you cl- you clearly were already ahead of your years to start off with. Um, but then you got into your course and you realised that there wasn't that room to grow. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe feel like they're in the same position that you were or maybe they're not as far ahead but they've got a project they're passionate about. It's taking up a lot of their time. What would what advice would you give? Well, I, I, I wasn't the smartest person in the room at school or at university. Mm-hmm. There were some really talented and clever people around me and they were going on their own paths uh, and they were studying marketing and journalism and, and they're doing great things in their industries my path was just different. And it was more of a realization that I didn't want to go down this industry and I was enjoying making my own stuff more. And what's really cemented it for me is like with any entrepreneur or any person who's, or even, even anyone with a, a normal career, like if you do look at what you're doing young, it's a pretty clear indication of what you're going to be enjoying when you're older. Like, what about you? What, what were you doing at like 13, 14? You must've been making stuff and <laughs> like singing or you had a radio show, you're holding that <laughs> microphone like you've sung before or something. Uh, no, it wasn't It wasn't singing. I was on the aerobics stage. I did like national competitions okay. in aerobics and lots of public speaking. Okay. Always on stage. So a lot of talking. Yeah. And that, so those skills that you kind of by accident found that you were great mm. at talking to people and communicating and, and creating that kind of mm. broadcasted story. And that kind of by accident, if you do look at what you were doing growing up, it's a pretty good indication, maybe not of what career path you're going to go down, but what you're really going to enjoy. And, you know, you've got to hold on to that. 
That's why people who are coding at 12 or 13 are great engineers today or are building companies. They're not becoming florists. It's because that's what they were doing. Mm. I love that. And I think it's so important for us to reflect on those times and to to think back to what it was that made us happy as children and what we naturally did. Um, okay, very interesting. So, you know, then you've, you've decided to defer and now you're like, okay, great. I've finally have enough time to go out and do what I want to do. What were some of those early challenges you faced um, in those initial stages of tab- Tableau? Uh, with Tableau, there were a lot of different challenges, and there are still mm. challenges. Mm. Like it, it's still a, a, a difficult process to build a company from nothing. Uh, in the early days, a lot of them were, were very simple. It was around capital, cash, customers, product. Uh, I, I was lucky at the time that I uh, managed to get into an accelerator in the early stage which surrounded me with other people who were building companies as well. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, probably the first problem for me was isolation and not realizing that, hey, there are other really smart people that you can learn from that are building companies and doing really cool stuff. So I, I was pretty lucky to get into AngelCube, mm-hmm. which gave me that established network right away and $20,000 in capital mm-hmm. that helped me build a product and some software. So that was a kind of a, a, a lucky little blessing there that I managed to, to go through that. Uh, but that that solved a lot of it for me. So let's talk a bit deeper into these problems that you had, not problems, challenges that you faced, I like to call them. So, you know, I mean, you know, here at Spark Deacon, it's there's lots of talk around it. It's an accelerator as well. And it's lots of talk around, you know, how do I get those initial customers? How do I build this lean startup model? How do I, what, you know, what um, challenges did you face and how did you seek to combat them in those early days? Well, with a, a company and a product, the only way to do something that, that succeeds is to build a product that people really want to use and that they're telling their friends about. And it's easy to say that you've done that. It takes years to actually get that right. And for me with Tableau, it's taken probably three or four years to get the product right. You know, I, I was very good at selling to investors and bringing on capital, building a team, kind of incentivizing people with the right energy and the right motivation. But the product is ultimately the thing that that solves all those problems for you. And, you know, if you think back to other great companies like the Airbnb or the Uber, it's like, I don't know about you, but I found out about those companies because someone was telling me over the dinner table. It's you can press a button, the car comes up, you get in the car and they drive you anywhere. Mm. You don't have to pay. Like my dad still gets his credit card out in Uber because it's so different. (laughs) But those are the, the stories that you want to tell because they're a great experience that you had that was different. And that's what you've really got to strive to achieve in order to solve the problems of how to find enough customers, how to get enough capital. I I made a mistake early on in my business of thinking that the way to build a company is to focus on PR and partnerships. (laughs) That's not right. Those things are byproducts of having a good product that people want to use in the first place. And I was a little bit foolish. I had a PR company on retainer. I was uh, following the press line of, you know, just telling people how good Tableau was and telling people they could publish their books on it. But people weren't doing the telling for me. I was just broadcasting what was really a crappy company. And it was only when we stopped going down the PR path and stopped focusing on partnerships and instead invested everything inwards on just making the best publishing experience possible that lets you write a book, click a publish button, then you've got a paperback in every bookshop in the world. That experience, whenever an author uses it, they want to tell their friends about it. And they will promote their books like crazy on Tableau, on Twitter. They'll just send it out there showing people what they've written. 
anytime they publish a book, they'll tell all their friends, I found this amazing service that I could just write in and click publish. And my book's on Amazon, it ships with Prime, it's in every bookshop. That story is what's driven the company to get where it is today. So the kind of long-winded answer, the best advice to people who are going through the early struggles of building a company is to just focus on your product. And it does take an incredible amount of patience and it will take everything out of you. Uh, you will be tired and fatigued. You do need a, a, a real strength and conviction of character to push through these challenges and, and see beyond them. But it just takes time and a lot of hard work to get there. Wow. And a lot of hard work you did, Ash. Um, I, I, I should say, I, I don't feel like Please. I worked that hard. Like, <laughs> really, I, I, I don't do that much. <laughs> Says the Forbes under 30. People keep thinking <laughs> that I've got a really busy schedule. I, I usually don't. Oh, no, I, I find it hilarious. But I think it's so cool. And I think that, I mean, definitely a question that's come up for me after that is, okay, so you're focusing on your product and that is your sole thing. And, you know, you, I mean, as much as you say, no, you don't work hard, you do. <laughs> but, you know, um, and, you know, so you're working on it, you're focused. How do you, like, I, I often find that when you're working on this sole thing, there seems to be other things that keep to that keep popping up. So let's just say you're working on your product being the best thing. There's a million different things you could do to achieve that. Yeah. How do you prioritize and, you know, kind of figure out what's the most important? Well, focus is an art mm. and it's really, really hard to just focus your energies on one thing. It, it's the discipline of saying no to a hundred different things, even though they're really great ideas and things that you absolutely want to do and you, you think are, are brilliant products. Mm. If they're not right or if they'll take your energy away from what you should be focusing on the time, you've got to learn to say no to stuff. And I feel, well, initially I felt super guilty with my team of just, Someone would have a great idea. It's like, I love it. No, we, we can't do, uh, you know, we can't build a, a, an online cover generator and, and have these paperback services or different sizes or a, a lot of really great ideas to have to go on the, the chopping board. And that's really the, the primary job of a founder. Uh, the, the thing that I end up having to do a lot is curate a lot of the feedback and the ideas that come towards me. And it's partly from the team, partly from customers, partly from shareholders. We've got nine shareholders at Tableau who all have some really great ideas and different experiences and different ideas about markets and, and where we should be taking the business. My job is to take all of that in, think about it a lot, and just pick something to target and, and to give the whole company a, a direction and a goal. So it's yeah, for a new founder, there'll be a hundred different things coming at you. Uh, there's no real secret to, to fixing that. It's just Work out where you want to be, and and you got to put blinders up. You got to just go for it. Mm. So interesting, and go for it, did. I mean, we're now five and a half years in, and wow, this is five and a half years. I mean, oh, that's man. what your LinkedIn says. I've got <laughs> a lot more grey hairs than I should have. <laughs> um, you know, and clearly the progression of Tableau has been extraordinary. I mean, you know, with your, um, you know, Forbes sitting under 30 this year and your Victorian Young Achiever of the Year Award as well, absolutely awesome. So talk to us a bit about when it got to the point where you knew Tableau was taking off. Well, there's never really been a rocket ship moment. There's never really been an, oh, crap moment. It's just been a, you know, I, I love the, the line of, you know, 
you, you'll always overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in 10. Mm. And as if you look back and look at where you were, it's a, wow, we've come so far. For me, it's very similar in that we will be heads down working and then we'll feel like we're not getting in anywhere and then we'll look back and, wow, we've got all these users and mm. all these customers. Uh, the only real, well, there are a couple of different points where the company had a jump and a bit of an inflection. Uh, in the very, very early days, I had another company try and buy me out. Uh, there were a company based in the Netherlands. They were building something very similar. My product was better. They had investors. I didn't know investors were a thing. And they offered to buy my company, kind of bring me on as more of an aqua hire in exchange for 25% of their business. And there was a lot of discussion of, well, 25% of their business might be worth, I think it was three quarters of a million on paper. I was 20 years old and I'm thinking, wow, does that make me like a, I'm almost a millionaire. <laughs> and it was a, a decision of, well, maybe there's a market out here to take this more seriously. And if there are people talking and people are sniffing me out, maybe I can look at investors and maybe I can look to build a real business out of this. So that was a, a point where I, I turned that down and decided, well, I've got to throw everything at this and start talking to shareholders and start building the business into something that might be a little bit bigger which was a real inflection point for me. The other inflection point was uh, when we did go ahead and raise our capital. We raised, I think it was $300,000 in capital in 2014. I'm probably going to have to fact check with you on that. Uh, That was the the seed round or or more of an angel round that Mm. helped me establish a team and and let me put CEO in my LinkedIn (laughs) and pretend I had a real job when people asked me what to do. Uh, But it it was a a real kick to say, right, let's... Mm. Let's go out and see what we can build with accountability mm. and responsibilities there. But from then onwards, it's been probably a hundred little decisions that have built into something bigger. And there have been a bunch of red herring, herrings as well, where we've, we've done things that haven't worked, but a few years later, they've turned out to be real blessings in disguise. We've built products that no one's used that have formed the infrastructure for things in the future. Uh, really where we are today is where I'd, I, I wouldn't have dreamed of being where we are right now with the product that we've got because uh, it is the simplest way to publish a paperback book. It's as easy as publishing a blog. We've got the biggest distribution network in the industry. We're cheaper than all of our competitors. Our revenues are now the numbers that are growing, which is something that a lot of companies don't get to say. So I'm, I'm real fortunate of that. But this product here, for example, with Tableau's current paperback product, this started about two or three years ago when we built a failed product for another company and they commissioned us to you know build a piece of software for them that didn't end up going anywhere and when that didn't go anywhere it was the end of the world it was wow we've got no direction but that thing that we built two or three years ago ended up being the foundation of what we have today so it's really just been a compilation of putting myself out there enough and working really hard and building great products and then trusting that uh, the market and the, the universe will kind of bring it all together in the future and that's really the, the discipline that it takes I love that. And I I think it's so cool to hear the different stages and kind of what your company has gone through. It's almost like a child growing up, you know, it's like it, it, it grew up as you grew up. Mm. And I think another point I want to touch on here is the idea of having the discipline to stick with something. So I think that, as you were saying before, even with the founders have to have, to have that kind of uh, laser vision uh, over what they want to make those decisions, 
you know, in our world today, it's, you know, the next new thing. Um, you know, maybe I could be doing this or maybe I could be doing that because maybe that will make more money or maybe I'll be able to do, be able to do my passion and follow that r- route. What is your advice around, you know, the ability to be diligent and stick to the one thing? And I mean, that's been your experience. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it, there's there's no trick to it. There's no, it's not like you, you can have a different breakfast cereal in the morning and suddenly you'll be more motivated in the day. There's, it's a, an art and a, a discipline that you have to really learn. A lot of companies, because as you've pointed out, now I've been in this space for like five, five and a half years. I feel like a bit of a veteran in the startup world. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of companies come and go. A lot of companies have started, great idea, they do the wrong thing. 18 months later, that's the cycle. 18 months, they're gone. Some will even raise funding, raise capital, burn it all. 18 months, they're gone. So I feel like I've been through two or three life cycles of a company. And there have been points along the way, usually at 18-month intervals, where I almost screwed things up and, and Tableau almost went under as well. For me, it, it I'm just a little stubborn <laughs> if... if that doesn't, you know, put it too lightly. Uh, and, and when there's a problem and when something's going wrong, I don't know, I, I, for some reason I've been wired the wrong way. <laughs> like if, if something goes wrong and there's a problem there, I started thinking, how can I make an opportunity out of this? And that's just how my mind starts to work. So uh, about 18 months ago, we almost went out of business. Uh, we had a, a pretty sizable contract fall through, which was to most companies, going to be debilitating because I was looking at my revenues and looking at my numbers thinking, without this income, we're under. Uh, and we had about six, eight weeks worth of cash left. So what I ended up doing was pulling together all of our shareholders, raising an additional round of 100000 in funding, uh, pulled that together in about four weeks, which was probably the, the only time I have really worked hard <laughs> for that month, then used that money to bring on uh, someone really great in Sydney uh, to be our kind of business development and creative direction person. Use that to bring on more education sales and go down the corporate route. Use that funding to launch the paperback product. So it was, you know, seeing challenges in areas where things could be debilitating as being opportunities. Uh, there's a there's a beautiful French word, I think it's European, which is that there is freedom in knowing your restraints. And if... Uh, you know, say you're a, a musician and you're tone deaf, like that could be a great opportunity for you where you've got that weakness. Maybe you can use that to build something more beautiful because there's a, a restriction to your work or, you know, you know, just trying to realize what your limitations are and then make the most of that. Any challenge that we have, I see as being a, a little opportunity to figure out how to do something better. And, you know, I, I don't understand why people, unless they really love the idea, Unless they love the product and really care about the direction they're going in, yeah, absolutely. If something goes wrong, get out of there. If you're not enjoying it or if you don't see the bigger picture, there's no point hanging around just because you want to build a company. But for me, I've just really loved the product. I really care about the publishing industry. So anytime things have been difficult, it's been get back to work and figure it out. Mm, I love that. And I think there's so much there that we can take away. I think that, you know, it is really about finding that core passion that you have and then channeling that and, you know, running with it. And I think that obviously your story is so, you know, such a, it's an example of that. So I, I absolutely love that. Um, cool. So, 
you know, as we come to the close of today's interview um, with, with Ash, um, I, I just want to firstly acknowledge you, Ash, for all of the awesome work you've done and that you're doing. Um, you know, it's so cool to be able to connect with people like you and and to be able to share your story uh, to all of those out there listening. Um, and, you know, it's I think we're so fortunate to have people like you paving the way for our generation and for all of us budding entrepreneurs out there um, who are looking to to really take that idea that we have and, and run with it. So we really appreciate that. That's very that. kind. Thank you. Of and, course. And thank you for this podcast. I mean, it's, it's going to be an incredible resource for people just looking to learn. Really? And any, any people that can talk and just share their story, I know is hopefully someone will hear and, and just think a little bit about what they're doing and it can be helpful. Thanks so much, Ash. Really appreciate Thank that. Um, perfect. So um, we're going to head into our last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? What else would you do? I think that there's no point in life in being anything other than a little ambitious, a little open and, uh, you know, not being afraid of rejection and get knocked back if things don't work. I think life's a little too short to not do the thing that you actually want to do. And, you know, that there's a lot of, a lot of people do fall into the trap of thinking that this right now is a dress rehearsal and eventually they'll start living and doing the things that they want to do. And it takes a lot of work to really push yourself and cause you to be a little uncomfortable, but there's really not enough time to mess about. You've just got to meet great people, work on the things that you want to work on, fall in love with the problems of business, fall in love in other ways as well. I think it's just what life's all about. But let me tell you about my air freshener business, though. That's <laughs> that's the what I thought this interview real was about. Gem. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen this? Was this, this wasn't on my LinkedIn. No. No. I, I run a little company with my brother. It's not a joke. No, Sorry. this is a real thing. Tell this me. is this is what it's called Elon's Musk. And we make a fragrance line and car air fresheners with Elon's face on them that actually smell like real musk. So there's a little bit of rocket fuel in there, a little bit of cologne. Are you being serious? It's a real thing. You can go to it's a real thing. Elon oh Musk's dot, Elon's musk dot co. This is phenomenal. Mm, so How did I miss this? I don't know. It's it's all over my social channels at the moment. Oh, LinkedIn did not provide the goods. Honest, that's what I'm out on the on the selling trail to really oh, promote. You know, stop. Okay, brilliant. I'm glad you brought <laughs> it up. Um, <laughs> so that wasn't in your script. I totally yes, threw look, a curveball no, there. That's okay. <laughs> I love this. It's all about the unedited episodes. Um, <laughs> really, really appreciate your time, um, Ash, and absolutely loved it. Um, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, you can go to Tableau, Tableau.io. <laughs> Elon Musk. Uh, you, or you can go to elonsmusk.co. To be honest, I'm probably going to sell more air freshers out of this than I am books. Oh, well, uh, otherwise, I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram, that's really where I, you, you see what I'm doing. So my Twitter handle is at photoguides. I still haven't managed to change that. I probably <laughs> should still change that. Or my Instagram's at ashdav for Ash Davies. And yeah, then you'll see all kinds of things from puppies to cars to books to <laughs> you know other belligerent tweets and opinions that I have on the internet. <laughs> Love it. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. 
Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.